wonderful to have you all here tonight. Well, you know what uh, H2 is short for? That's right, hydrogen. Know that. But did you know what R2D2 is short for? <laughs> it's because he has little legs. That's <laughs> obviously, that's, that's what it's short. Okay. All right, well, it's time to get it over to Dr. John and the Technology Spotlight. <laughs> Renewable energy is all around now, isn't it? You know, we have cars that are renewable energy and all kinds of neat things. Well, what about airplanes? I'm talking specifically about commercial airlines. Don't we need battery-powered airlines? Well, people have looked at that, and there's a problem. Batteries are really heavy. And so you might be able to make a small airplane, but if you start trying to make a big airline that's going to go really far, you're going to have quite a bit of trouble. So what could we use in airplanes that would be renewable and be light and uh, effective in this area? Maybe the lightest element in the universe. I'm talking about hydrogen. Well, the big news is that Airbus just announced that they're working on hydrogen airlines. Remember, Airbus is one of the biggest aircraft manufacturers in the world. They make the really, really big airlines, uh, right up there with Boeing. And uh, so this is pretty big news if they really, really push it through. I want to show you a little video of one of their concept hydrogen-powered airplanes. And as you can see, it doesn't look all that different from a normal airline. <coughs> this is the jet-powered version. They're going to use the hydrogen uh, in a jet engine and burn it. And uh, remember, when you burn hydrogen, you get water. And so it's going to be really, really clean. Uh, one thing I want you to notice, though, that's really different about this airplane is the tail. Instead of the windows going all the way back, the back section is where they're planning to put the hydrogen. Remember, hydrogen is really light. It's even lighter than kerosene, which is what most jets use today. but it's more voluminous. And so they're planning to put the hydrogen as in liquid form in the back. And remember, the way you get hydrogen as a liquid instead of a gas is you make it super, super, super cold. And then it will turn into a liquid. It's somewhere around, I think it's 20 degrees Kelvin, somewhere around there, really, really cold. Uh, so that's what they're planning. And also, if you look at the tail of the airplane, see how there's a little part that goes up really high? That is where they're going to vent the hydrogen if their tank uh, leaks at all or if the, the, there's too much pressure. Let it out safely. One of the neat things about hydrogen is it is lighter than air, and so it always wants to go up. And so um, this is really early stages, but you can kind of see where they're going. One interesting thing about this is what it's going to do to the center of gravity. For those... Uh, pilots among us, you know that you have to have weight and balance right in the airplane. You have to have the weight distributed correctly so the airplane will want to tip the right way, point the right way. And uh, usually they put the fuel in the wings, and the wings are right in the middle, so as you drain the, the tanks in the wings, the weight and balance doesn't change much. But if you put the tank in the back, how's that going to work? 
and I, I'm interested to see what their thinking is there. Maybe it's because the hydrogen fuel is so light that uh, it won't be as big a deal, but they're going to have to figure that out, aren't they? Well, they had a couple other concept planes with the same idea. I want to show you another one. This one is a turboprop airplane. This is a smaller airplane. Notice the other one was going to take up to like 200 people. This one's going to be less than 100. And remember, a turboprop is basically a lot like a jet engine with a propeller on it. And so it's going to be uh, really high performance for that niche where it's doing shorter flights with less people. And again, you can see how they're planning to put the hydrogen in the back. But then this next concept is really different. This is a blended wing body. And essentially, it's a flying wing. And they put everything in that wing shape. And this shape is neat because it gives them a lot more options. Look at all that space in there. They think they can fit somewhere under 200 passengers in there along with the fuel. And uh, you might ask, where would the people sit? And they haven't quite figured that out yet. <laughs> they're, they're talking about different configurations and where, but uh, somewhere. There's a lot of room in there, though. <laughs> and so they have a lot of options. And that kind of shows you how they're really forward thinking. This is a new idea that's still coming, but there are a lot of options. But the thing that's really interesting is that they did a big study on using batteries, and they concluded that battery technology is not progressing fast enough. They're not going to be able to do an airline like this with batteries. In fact, batteries are thousands of times heavier per unit of energy than hydrogen is. So if you have the same amount, the same weight of hydrogen as batteries, you can go thousands of times further. That's a really, really big difference. And so that's why hydrogen is where they're going. They're, um, they're going to need to make a whole infrastructure. They're going to need a lot of help from a lot of governments and partners in order for this to work. Because not only do you need the plane to run on hydrogen, but you need to have a source of hydrogen at the airports where they're going to fly. So there's a lot of infrastructure and a lot of neat stuff. But this sounds really familiar. For, to some of us, this is what uh, people like Roger Billings and Willis Hawkins have been telling us for quite a long time. So it's really exciting <laughs> to see more people getting on board with making hydrogen airplanes. Pretty neat stuff. And I want to show you one more video. This is kind of the finisher with them flying in together. I wondered if they're racing to see which one's going to get there first. <laughs> And uh, they are planning to have them done by 2035. That's about 15 years. And you're probably wondering, why are they fly flying in a formation, right? <laughs> well, it's just an animation. <laughs> but another project that Air uh, Airbus has been working on is the idea of flying airlines in formation. Not quite as close as the Blue Angels, you know, but <laughs> the, the same idea. Because if they fly them close together like that, the same way that the Canadian geese do, they can actually use less fuel total for the aircraft. There's some wake turbulence that comes off the wings, and if they get it just right, that wake turbulence actually gives them some extra lift. And they found that they think they can get about 5 to 10% fuel reduction by doing that. And, and if you think about how most of, or a big part of the cost is fuel, that's a big deal. And so they're experimenting with that. A lot of exciting new things. And uh, for sure, 
as hydrogen gets into airplanes, it's going to take hydrogen to a new high, isn't it? <laughs> and that's all the tech we have the time for. Thank you. Exciting. <laughs> all right, now it's time for Breakthroughs in Science mm -hmm. with Tobias. Flying in V formation. I thought geese did that just because it looked cool. <laughs> Whoever thought it was science, of course it was. You know, it's really interesting how important, okay, listen up, how important it is to pay attention to these technology spotlights about the new stuff from John. Not just because he's cool, okay, but the amount of new discoveries that we store in our brain that we learn about and all of the technologies and the amazing things that we hear about um, and that we learn from Dr. Billings and we gain this knowledge and we gain this knowledge. That's useful. Why is it useful to know about what other people have already done? I want to do my own thing. Well, turns out if you want to do something that no one's ever done, you might need some of these new technologies that people just came up with. So every time you get something new, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. Okay, and you can do that, okay, that's, that's very in right now, okay, and it, it's professional too, I mean, when you get older and you're in a conference meeting, you hear something important, just go, oh, okay, first 20 times everyone will think you're very strange, but eventually they'll all be like, okay, but think, thinking about storing these things because you never know when one of those technologies is going to empower you. And tonight's breakthrough is exactly that. It's a breakthrough that was built on breakthroughs of other people. So we need to talk about a presentation that was being given by this gentleman, Dov Moran from Israel. And he was presenting about his company to a bunch of people. And he was getting ready to do the presentation. And as most business presentations, the classic is, you know, you've got your computer and you've got what, your PowerPoint or whatever you're going to show, okay? Well, he, he's ready to go. This is in 1998. And all of a sudden, the computer stops working right before he's ready to start. And he does not have this presentation on anything else. And now it's very awkward. Okay, it's kind of like showing up to the stage without the band. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Uh, does anyone have a harmonica? <laughs> okay, you, you feel a little bit, he felt very awkward. And he said that after this experience, he thought, this will never happen to me again. I need to come up with a way to solve this problem. Why, why can't I have the presentation, this electronic presentation, digitally, and I could do it on any computer. I can just take this thing, and I had a thing, and I could go use it with any of these computers. And so he starts exploring creating a new storage medium that could be portable. Okay, so first thing he does is he starts looking at some of the, the existing storage methods. Now, you know, we've got CDs, as you can see, some of you are like, what's that? Look, somebody made a statue of the save icon. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, that, that's actually real, okay? <clears throat> but these are, these are ways of the past to store computer data. Now, what is computer data? We have to remember computer data because computers talk with two words. That's the only way they could. Can you imagine that? They are, yep, nope, okay? It's like, hey, did you have a good day? Yep. How was yesterday? Nope, okay? <laughs> But computers, all they know is on or off, one or zero. That's it. And so it's actually pretty simple if you want to store data for computers because you only need two states of that storage, on or off, a one or a zero. But how do you store that? And so they had magnetic 
disks where you could set little sections with the magnetic field this way or that way, and that signified one or a zero. And they had CDs, they had different ways to store this, but he didn't want to do like a new, I mean, you could try doing a new CD, maybe one that was more portable, that held more, that worked faster, didn't get ruined when it was scratched. He wanted something much, much better. Well, it turns out that there was a new technology that had been discovered about, well, over 10 years previous, but it was still new, and it was called flash storage. And this was a discovery that a Japanese gentleman had discovered. We're not going to get deep into flash because that's its own breakthrough. But as he started looking into it, they used electrical signal to store those ones and zeros in these tiny, tiny locations inside of a chip or a board. And instead of a magnetic disk with magnetic fields, you know, this direction or that direction, they ch charged or they didn't charge. So if it was a one, it was charged. If it wasn't a one, if it was a zero, it didn't charge. They didn't put a charge on that little point. So you had all these tiny little points, and each of those could store a one or a zero, a one or a zero, a one or a zero. So it's kind of like, um, you know, if you if you store, so it's, you're just storing on or off, right? The other thing about it, though, was the ability to erase it really fast. Okay, instead of having to go, you've got each of these with a one or a zero. If you want to erase it, you don't have to go down each one and say, off, 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 erase, 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 erase. It turned out with this method that he had discovered, you could erase entire sections just by one charge of electricity. And that's why they, because it's like, you could erase it with a flash. That's called flash memory. And so that's where it kind of evolved from, of flash memory. And another really cool thing about it is the way the technology w worked if you stored this data through these electrical currents, once you pulled power away, it still held that information. And it could hold it for years. So that was a really big deal too. So this is a new technology. And as Moran is starting to look at this, how could we use this? So if we could take this kind of storage and put it in something that I can carry around. Okay, but how do I get it into the computer? Uh, we could invent a new CD drive that's for this kind of thing. That'd be a really big uh, challenge to get all these computer builders to start using this new thing that you've made and actually build it into their computers. So as they're looking at how are we going to be able to connect two computers or put it into a computer, they look at this other breakthrough that was slowly starting to pick up for things like mice and keyboards of USB. What if we used that USB port and the USB interface and wrote and read the data from our little flash memory, this portable flash memory, and that's what they decided to do and pursue. And there's a lot into that as well that's kind of its own breakthrough, but they were able to get a little drive. In fact, here it is. M Systems was their company, and they got a little flash drive, the USB memory stick. And he said that the first one they made, he gave to his dad. And his dad had written a biography book, and they fit the whole book on it. And that eight stands for eight megabit. It <laughs> held eight meg. And that was pretty amazing. And as we all know, this breakthrough would grow very rapidly, not just in use, but in the what you can do with it. Um, in fact, so I've got this. This is a USB drive, okay, it holds one gig. So one instead of eight meg, it holds 1,000 megs. So it'd be like 125 of those eight meg sticks for this. 
And then they have some that are, um, I have different flash drives here. So this is a 32 gig, okay. This is a, a really cool Mercedes car, oh no, sorry, it's just a gig. So we pretend to be cool, okay. So they have the flash drives of all sizes and they even have terabyte thumb drives now. A terabyte is a thousand gig. So that'd be 120, if I'm right, I think 125,000 of those eight meg sticks equally in this one terabyte thumb drive. So it's exploded, it's turned into a multi-billion dollar industry, um, all from taking something and this something and combining them into a breakthrough that would eventually revolutionize the way that we carry our data. And this is the same technology in SD cards, memory sticks, in phones, and it really kind of broke into the mobile portable storage through the USB thumb drive. So when you hear something cool, something interesting, just remember, because this thing holds more than all those memory sticks. Thank you. <laughs> all right, and now introducing Roger Billings. That's a new kind of sound. <laughs> it's to experience Ultrasonic. It <laughs> Ultrasonic. Did you see that? I did. And it's really too bad because that, you know, blower that blows the thing, it's really got a cool sound. Is that what that was? was I was one of the very few people that could hear it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, tonight, I'd like to welcome everybody. It's a very special occasion because we have someone very special with us tonight. Who is it? Here I am. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm the modesty. No, no, no. We have one of my all-time favorite composers, musicians, Lex de Azevedo. Can we swing a camera around and pick up Lex here for me? Here we go. Lex, say hello to everybody. Wait, 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 wait. Wait for it. Here it comes. Focus, focus. There he is. Hi, Lex. All right, yeah. But he didn't see that coming. <laughs> For a minute, I was afraid we weren't going to see it either. <laughs> but you know, he's composed some of the music that pierces the heart and changes your life. And I think that's neat. A medium-like music can be so powerful, but when you put it into the hands of a master like Lex, it changes lives. And thank you. You've inspired me for a very long time. This week is the first time I've actually been able to meet him in person, and it's been a real thrill. Thank you for visiting us here. Mm -hmm. And all the rest of you here, you're going to be just as special someday <laughs> <laughs> if you do something. They're coming. <laughs> no, but really, you're all special, and I'm mm -hmm. grateful you're here. And, and of course, I mean you, too. All right. right? Really? Mm -hmm. I mean you, too. I mean you, too. You I'm too. not going to okay. go there. I'm Great. not going to even fall. <laughs> Well, so they're going to build a hydrogen airplane, are they? That's exciting. And they're going to fly them like geese. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't expecting that part. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> it is true, though, that the geese are able to fly with less energy by making those wonderful V formations. Mm -hmm. and, and that gets like people, you know, because you have smart people, and then you have people that are almost as smart. <laughs> because... 
it takes less energy to fly if you're in that V formation unless you're the front goose. <laughs> and that one in front, he's special, but he's not so smart. <laughs> Boy, it's headwind today. <laughs> he's up there in front, and the others say, no, not bad back here. <laughs> But they're going to fly the airlines in formation to save fuel. So I can see that now. We're up above the Kansas City Airport, flying in a circle waiting for formation to form. <laughs> you spend more fuel waiting for the other planes. Anyway, actually, uh, it is exciting to see Airbus picking up on this. And some of you know we're tonight in the Hawkins Lecture Hall named after Willis Hawkins, one of the founders of this wonderful Academy of Science. Remember, Dr. Hawkins was president of Lockheed, California, and he just did a lot of wonderful things for aviation. But he and I had a dream of airlines running on hydrogen. And why? Because hydrogen is so much lighter than jet fuel. And that means you can go a lot further with the same amount of fuel. But one of the Real interesting things that we are, he's passed away now, I'm still here. <laughs> Pink, no, I am, I'm still here. <laughs> One of the things that he and I were excited about, and I still am, is the fact that since hydrogen is 400 degrees below zero when it turns to a liquid, if you run it through a tube in the leading edge of the wing, it makes it super cooled mm -hmm which makes laminar flow, which means you don't need to fly in formation because it eliminates most of that drag. And you fly almost twice as far on the same charge of fuel. That's exciting. As Tobias and John would say, neat stuff. Pretty neat, neat stuff. stuff. <laughs> that's pretty, you that's the pretty our thing. in there. Pretty, pretty neat, neat stuff. stuff. Yeah, it really is really neat, though. Trademark okay, well, I'd like to talk a lot about that. But tonight, I need to follow up on what we've been talking about, which is sending data. Tonight, we're doing a, an origination. We have an image of Dr. Peget here, and her image is going in the cameras where it's being converted into a signal. Tobias says the digital signals are ones and zeros. I look pretty good for ones and zeros. Yes, you do. Very good ones <laughs> and zeros. And those are then sent over the network and sent out to all the people that are with us tonight. Well, I just happened to bring a network cable. This is a cable that has eight conductors in it. And two conductors are twisted into a pair, and there are four pairs. And this carries digital signal. And the way the signal works is that when we want it to be a one, we turn it on. And we want it to be a zero, we disconnect it. And we send those little pulses of electricity over the cable very, very fast. The faster we can send them, the better. Are you with me so far? What's a conductor? A conductor. Mm -hmm. That's the guy that drives the train. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> what did you think it was? I thought it was the guy who drives the train. <laughs> yeah, right. A conductor is a metal that does not have its electrons very well under control. So the electrons can be pushed down the wire. So a metal like copper doesn't hang on to its electrons very well. So if you push them on here, then the electrons move on down. And so you put some in this end of the cable, and they come out this end. Okay. That's conductor, because okay. it 
it conducts electrons along the train. I mean, <laughs> the cable. Yeah, okay? I'm getting it. We getting it? Yeah. All right. So, a few years back, okay, a few decades back, mm -hmm. but a few years back, I was looking at this cable, not this one, but one like it, and I mm -hmm. thought, you know what? It would be so much better if we could send data over it faster. And we were sending it pretty fast. We were sending 10 megabit. That's pretty fast. You know, boy, that's cruising. It's really going. But I thought, I think I could make a system that would send data over this cable faster than 10 megabit. I think I could go 100. That wouldn't impress people. There are even people working on that. I, I think I could send data 1,000. Megabit, a thousand megabit per wow. second. That'd be really fast. Now, when I did that, I was like some of you. I was just one guy or one, one lady, but I thought I could do that. And I knew I'd need to have some real neat technology, but I thought it would be worth developing some new technology. I'd have to come up with some neat ideas to be able to do this. So I started working on it. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that the very, very, very first steps took place at a place I call the farm. I was sitting at a desk in the farmhouse way out in the country where there was no internet at the time <laughs> and thinking, wouldn't it be fun if we could speak? How could you make it go faster? How could you send the data faster? Now, if I pull out <clears throat> my cell phone, turn on the light. Let's suppose I'm sending data with a light. Right now, I'm sending a one. Did you see that it was a one? And if I, come on, go away. Now I'm gonna send a zero. <laughs> that was a zero, that's how it worked. And we could send over cable, and we could send over fiber electric. Remember last week we talked about these thin fibers of glass that we shoot a light beam through. And if the light's on, that means it's a one. If it's off, it's a zero, okay? But I wanted to do it faster. I wanted to do it not 10 times faster. I wanted to do it 100 times faster. And that would be a big jump in technology if it could be done. So I started figuring out how I thought I could do it. And if you're gonna send data faster, it means that the signal going over the wire is a higher frequency. What is a frequency? Well, that's how many cycles per second. And I wanted to send it real fast. I wanted to send 1,000 megabit per second. Some people that are really good at math know that means a gigabit. <laughs> I mean a billion numbers per second over the cable. Could it be done? Could you send it at gigabit? and I thought it could. I knew that I couldn't do it just with a normal signal. I'd have to do something to, to drive it at a very, very high speed. And so I started looking at the electronics that could send that signal at the speed. And there are four pairs in the standard computer cable. So I thought, well, I can send it down all four pairs. And so I came up with this idea that I call wideband. Wideband meant I'd send data down one pair going that direction, and I'd send it the other way 
going the other direction. Well, people already did that at 10 gigabit. But I was going to send 200, excuse me, 333 million characters per second on each pair. And to do that, it was going to mean that I'd have to have a much higher frequency signal to send it. And so, built some electronics to do that. And, and it worked. Put on a cable, and it came shooting through fast, and I was kind of encouraged. I didn't have any way to read the data that fast, but I had an oscilloscope. Do you know what an oscilloscope, you know what an oscilloscope is? I do. Do they? No, I think they are. All right, let's tell them what it is. An oscilloscope is like a little TV mm -hmm. for electronics. Yep. Instead of having you know, a color picture, what it has is it has squigglies. And the squigglies tell you what the voltage is doing at a certain time. So at this, at one second later, this is the voltage, and then later it's a low voltage. You can see how the voltage is changing over time. And I can see the data coming in, but I had an interesting problem. If I would send eight ones on, 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 if I'd send eight ones or say eight little bursts of voltage for ones, it would make a signal that was extremely high frequency. But if I would send one and then zero, 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 and sometimes you want to send ones and lots of zeros, then the signal going over the wire would be a signal and then a wait, and a wait, and a wait, and a wait, and then a signal, and then a wait, and a wait, and wait. And physics of wire says that's a low frequency signal because it only goes one every once in a while instead of every clock. And as a result of that, the low frequency went through the cable very good. But when I sent the, the high frequency data, which would be lots of ones, then it wouldn't go through the cable very good. And I, I need to tell you how bad it was. <laughs> Okay, so if I'd send certain numbers, which are ones and zeros, but certain encodings like one, 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 that was high frequency, the data wouldn't be good through the cable on the other end, it was real weak, and if I sent uh, zero, 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 one, 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 zero, 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 one, 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 then it came through like gangbusters. I would put about one volt into this end of the cable and coming out the other side would be a little less than a volt of the low frequency numbers. But when I got the high frequency number, I was shocked because the part coming out the other side was one thousandth of a volt. Mm. Most of the signal was lost in the wire because the frequency was so high, it went out into space like radio waves. Yeah. And so my invention that was going to change the world died. Mm -hmm. So then I <laughs> went and built hydrogen airplanes. No. <laughs> and flew like a goose and all that stuff. <laughs> okay. But seriously, it was a really big disappointment to me because I could send the low frequency numbers through, but I couldn't send the high frequency ones because they didn't come out the other side. 99.9% .9 of the signal was lost going through the cable. Now, it wasn't through a short cable. It was lost in a... 100 meter cable, which is the length you have to use because that's what they, they have in buildings. So I needed a fix. 
how do you fix it? How do you fix it? And I thought of all different kinds of things. I tried a lot of experiments. I did a lot of reading. I asked a lot of people. One guy that's really a brilliant engineer, and I says, you know, I'm trying to make this go 1,000 megabit, and, it, and it's not working. Mm -hmm. the, the high frequency data is, is attenuating. That's what they call it, where it becomes like an antenna and goes out into space. We're losing it. And he says, yeah, that's why computers go 10 megabit. <laughs> so it can't be done. Yeah. They kind of told you it couldn't be done. It can't be done. It can't be done. And, you know, I like to finish that sentence. It can't be done, Steve. <laughs> it can't be done yet. Right. It can't be done yet. What if someone could figure out how to do it? So how would you fix that? If you had this great invention and you were going to change the whole world and be able to start a whole new networking company by having this very fast network except for physics weren't cooperating. Yeah, how would you do that? Yeah, what would you do? And I thought, well, there's got to be a way, maybe a better wire. But I couldn't do a better wire because all the buildings had wires already installed and they wouldn't change them. So I'd do it with the same wire. And then I got an idea. And if you think about it, you can understand this idea, by the way. And it's kind of crazy. But I will kind of let the, the secret out. It worked. This is an idea I had that seemed kind of crazy, but it worked. I said, well, the high-frequency data, the ones that are 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, doesn't get through, but the low-frequency data where I send 1, 1, 1, 1, 0, 0, 0, 0, 1, 1, 1, 0, that pattern goes through real well, a thousand times better. So what I'll do is I will make a circuit that the signal goes into that makes exactly the opposite. It kills the low frequency and lets the high frequency pass through. And, and you call it a tuned circuit. I tuned it like a radio. You tune to the frequency you want to hear. I made a little circuit that tuned the data. And it made the low frequency only one thousandth of strong as the high frequency. So when I ran the signal in, the cable ruined the low frequency. I mean the high frequency, and I run the low frequency, and it came out. So both of them, the high frequency and the low frequency, was a thousandth of a volt. It was the same. And you know, a thousandth of a volt wasn't very much, but I could amplify it. That's and I mean. did. I amplified. That means I took the signal, and I ran it through transistors that amplified the signal. A trans transistor is a wonderful circuit that was invented Many years ago, in fact, I remember so well when I saw the very first transistor radio. <laughs> when, when I was in a cellus, <laughs> and, and we didn't have it yet, yeah. but when I was the age to be in the cellus, uh -huh. we'd turn on the radio, and then you'd wait for the tubes to warm up, and then the sound would come on. And uh, with transistors, you'd turn them on, and they'd come right on. Well, a transistor is like a traffic light. Have you ever seen a big semi rolling down the road, loaded up, it's heavy, takes a great big engine to move the semi down the road? That's a lot of power. But did you know that just one little tiny red light can stop all that power? It's true. The light goes red and and they stop. And they stay stopped until the green light comes on 
wrong, away they go again. That's what a transistor does. It takes a big power, like a big semi-truck going down the wire, big voltage going down the wire, and turns it on and off with the control of just a little voltage. That's how radios work. There are radio waves everywhere here. If we make a coil that captures those radio waves, they are so soft you could never hear them. But if we take that weak signal and hook it up to the base of a transistor, it'd be like hooking it up to the traffic light. The light doesn't have much power, but when it turns red, the truck stops. When it turns green, it goes. And that's what we do with the sound to be able to get the radio to play in a speaker or a headphone, whatever we're doing. Right? But I digress. Okay. So go back. <laughs> going back to my little wideband networking, mm -hmm. it worked. By putting this little signal on every network board, as the signal came in, I got rid of the low frequency sound, which meant that I made them the same. Then I could read the data. And all of a sudden, I had a circuit that could send data not at 10 megabit, not at 100, but at 1,000 megabit or 1 gigabit. Now, some of you may not remember that because it was a few years ago, but I remember it real well. And so I started a company, set up a factory, started making these boards, and I told people, I can run 100 times as fast over your same wires. And they had a hard time believing it. Mm -hmm. And they thought, if it did work at all, it probably wouldn't work over the normal wires. Mm -hmm. So I went to a trade show. And this is a trade show where the whole computer industry was coming, and all these people were there, and I put up a big booth, and it said, I send data at gigabit rate, yeah. 1,000 megabit per second, people. They didn't believe me because nobody believed it could be done. So the next trade show, I took a piece of a building. Mm -hmm. I literally did. I made a wall with boards, you know, like two befores. And then I got eight strands of barbed wire from a fence, and I nailed them on the boards. And then I hooked up wires to them over here and wires over there, and I sent data through the barbed wire, and then I displayed a movie on television at 10 megabit. You can't play but a funny little low-resolution movie that nobody would watch on YouTube. It was, it was too little. <laughs> but at 1,000 megabit, you could have beautiful movies. Sure. So I send the movie through, and it went across the barbed wire and came out the other side, and it was beautiful. And people saw it, and I started selling these. And I sold them, and I sold them, and I sold them. I was the only company in the world that could send gigabit over a copper cable. And we made a lot of it. We didn't make the money. We earned it. <laughs> but it was like printing money because everybody wanted it, and it did real well. Now, one guy, he came in, and he saw it, and he wrote a book on networking. And he had a picture of my barbed wire wall, and he wrote about it. It's amazing. He can make it go over barbed wire. And then he wrote in his caption, I wonder if that'll give it better security. <laughs> it was clever. Yeah. yeah. It was worried. But it was, it was really neat. Well, now, the story goes on because I was doing really, really well. And other people were making slow networks, and I was making fast. But the thing about competition is nobody likes to get behind. Everybody wants to catch up.
don't they? They want to be as fast. So I read in my mail a letter that the IEEE was forming a new committee. Now, I don't know if everybody knows what the IEEE is. We, we better tell them. IEEE, I-E-E-E. IEEE is the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers. They are one of the largest technology organizations in the world, and they happen to be the people that create the standards for things like networking. When I made my wideband, it wasn't a standard because I was the only one that made it. If you wanted to go gigabit, you'd buy mine. <laughs> but, you know, it was okay. But they decided that gigabit is possible. I don't know where they got that idea. <laughs> but it was possible, so they formed a committee and they asked everybody they want to be part of creating a new standard, IEEE standard for gigabit, to come to this committee. So I went to the committee. And I got up there and I said, I've already got it. Everybody want to use my technology? And they said, no, we don't want to use yours. We want to make a new standard. And you know what? I think the reason they wanted a new standard is because I was kind of ahead. <laughs> if they changed the standard, then mine wouldn't work with anybody else's, and I'd have to change, which, by the way, I eventually had to do. But they started coming up with a standard, and the first thing they decided is that you can't send data as fast over copper, over each pair, as I was doing. Won't work. Won't be reliable. My banker thought it was. Okay? So they decided, first thing they decided is to send a thousand megabit over the cable. We're going to send a fourth of the data over each pair. So we'll send four signals at a time, when we get down the other side, we'll put them all back together, and you can get a very, very fast signal. But there's a big problem with that. If you use all four pairs to send the data, well then, you can't be sending the other way at the same time. That's called half duplex. And what that means is you send one way, then you stop, then you turn around and you send back the other way. It's like having a freeway with only one lane. It's like when they're working on the freeway and you go along, you're charging down the freeway at 72 miles an hour, <laughs> approximately, and then all of a sudden there's a guy with a flag and he stops you. And you have to wait and wait and wait and wait until the little truck comes with the flag and then you follow him because there's just one, way, one lane. And you go through and all the other cars are waiting and they come through. That's called half duplex. It's dumb. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not nice, what not I meant. Nice. What I meant, it's not nice. Because it makes everything you're trying to do on the computer run really slow and crummy. And I said, no, 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 we can't do that. But the committee voted and decided, yep, we, we just can't get all that data through four pairs, so we're going to have to go one way and then the other way. That committee was big. It was a big committee. And they, and they all had their own ideas, and they all voted. And I got voted down, because I said we should go full duplex, both directions, over some pairs, over other pairs. And I said, look, if you want to see it, I'll show you. So they voted it down. And you know, when you're forming a committee and they vote it down, then it's gone. So I went home, and I got this interesting idea. What if we could go over all four pairs in both directions at the same time? 
It'd be like having a freeway where you got two lanes going like this and two lanes like that, and when the cars hit each other, they just go right through. <laughs> Could you do that? Is that possible? I thought it was. I thought there's a way to do that. And it would be using a technology called a ballon. And here's how it works. Have any of you seen those headsets that you put them on and you hear a lot of noise from the traffic and things around you and then you turn on noise canceling and all the background noise goes away? I have a set that are made by Bose. Dr. Bose's company, and they're really neat. In fact, this is one of the things that he is famous for, is making these headsets. But I put them in, like if you're in an airline and you're flying along and you plug in the music, and you can hear the music playing, but you hear the you know, the air rushing by the airplane. And then you turn on the noise canceling button, and all the noise just and all you hear is your music. You ever wonder how he did that? Remember, we learned from Tobias et al. that uh, noise is sound waves. And when a wave goes up like this, Dr. Bose made a wave that went down like that. And when the two waves add up electronically, they cancel out. And so all that noise comes in. You have noise going out. It's exactly the same. And it cancels out so you can't hear it. Well, my idea was, what if we were to do that with, with Ethernet, with gigabit Ethernet? What if we were to send all the data down, all the pairs, because we'd already voted we're going to do that, which I think was a mistake. But you know, that's the thing about a committee, the majority rules. So I said, well, then we'll send this way, and we'll send the other way. And they said, well, when the data comes down from the far side it's coming to you, you won't be able to hear it because the data you're sending will be so loud on the same wire, it'll overpower, and you won't be able to hear the data the other guy's sending. And I said, well, but here's the deal. The data that I'm sending, I know what it is because I'm sending it. So I will subtract that from the signal when I receive it. And I thought, you know, no one's going to believe me. So we built a board. Yep. We built a prototype. Sure did. And in our prototype, we sent data both ways at the same time, and we showed we could send perfect data across. When I got back to the next committee meeting, and I told them, and then I showed them, I caused a big argument. <laughs> One thing about us scientists is we have lots of opinions. In fact, they say that if you have two scientists, you have three opinions. <laughs> and, and, you know, sometimes yeah, it is. And true. people could not agree on it, even though I showed them. They said, I don't know. Galileo said, you know, the sun's in the middle of the solar system, too. And, <laughs> and so there it was. So this discussion went on the rest of the meetings, and then we got down to where we're finally ready to make a standard. There was the half-duplex proposal. Send it that way. <sighs> Then send it that way. And the people that are running the computers, they can sit and wait. They won't mind. But we do mind, don't we? We do mind. And then there's the guys, the Billings guys, that says we can go both ways at the same time. And when the data hits each other, it'll magically go right through. And I got a prototype here that proves that it works. Mm -hmm. 
So they called my idea the full duplex, because I'm sending both directions at the same time. And finally, when it approved, they approved two versions of the standard, the half duplex version and the full duplex version. Now it's been a lot of years. I don't know any company that manufactures the half duplex version because it's dumb. <laughs> Who wants to sit there and wait for it to go that way and then to go that way? It's like road construction. We don't have time for this. And the full duplex works, and it works really, really, really well. Well, now, you're starting to get the idea of that, but I want to show you this. This is different. This happens to be the next generation. This was going to make it go 1,000. This puppy goes 10,000 megabit per second, or 10 gigabit. And there is a sister to this unit that we make at Wideband Corporation that goes 100 gigabit, or it's 100,000 times faster than my fast system. And it's kind of neat. Now this, this little box <laughs> we developed with a chip. You, I, I hope you can see this uh, heat sink. This, in fact, you know what? What? If you would help me. Would you help me? Mm -hmm. You'd light up my life. Okay, right here. <laughs> yeah. You light it right up on there so we can see that chip. Can they see? I don't know. Those are actually little aluminum fingers that stick up to get rid of the heat. Because this chip is cooking. It really, really cruises. And so we have to get rid of some of the heat to be able to run this yeah, fast. Yeah, it really gets really hot. Is it really? No, I'm, no more help. No. <laughs> okay, you don't light up my life. You lit up my life. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> thank you. You're welcome. It was really nice to have your support, cooperation, and help. She's making me a social emotional person. Anyway, <clears throat> that's a little heat sink, but underneath it's a chip, and that chip was designed by Dr. John. Mm -hmm. He did. He designed it. And what it does is it allows this thing to work so we can send data at 10,000 megabit per second. Now, last week I talked about how you send laser, a laser beam, a light through a strand of glass. Uh -huh. And I told you about these little mini jubics. <laughs> and I thought, you'd probably like to see what these look like. Can you see what that looks? Oh, there's a close-up. Hey. <laughs> okay, I just couldn't resist that. All right, so this little thing plugs in these holes. So in, in the front of this thing, come on guys, shine in here, look at that. Can you see these little holes? So the, this plugs in these holes, and I've got a little rubber in the end, so I'm gonna pull it out. That's a plug to keep it clean. There's two little holes. And these have to, oh, we're going to zoom, we're going to focus. Can you see those two little holes? One is sending light out, and one is receiving light. And here's the fiber, the glass fiber that plugs into these holes and sends the light out and receives it. And 24 of these plug into this appliance. And that allows us to hook up 24 Acela servers wow. to send our programs out to you. 
So if you recognize this, this was built in our little factory right here in Kansas City, Kansas City-ish. We're actually in the burbs, <laughs> aren't we, Steve? In fact, we have, let, let's pick up Steve here. Titus, can you shoot over, Mr. Steve? Hey, Steve, say hello. Okay, who built this, Steve? We did it, yeah, we did it. And so he builds these and a lot of other wonderful things for us. But it's just really exciting to have this board. And this board has 19 nanoseconds, 19 billionths of a second latency, which I think is, is right now the world record. And we build this, and that is one of the reasons that Acellus works so well. And it, it really does work well, and I'm really grateful to the team for that. Can you tell us what latency means? Just latency. Yeah. Wait and see if I do. <laughs> I latency. <laughs> latency is like this. We plug all these wires in, and here comes a signal from an Acellus student saying, I want to know if I got that problem right. And mm -hmm. as the data coming over the network goes in here, in 19 billionths of a second, it starts coming back out to the server. That's amazing. And that's like a thousand times faster than a normal network appliance or network switch. And it's something we're really proud of. And it makes the cellus work tons better. And we're really grateful that we have this. Now, this is a, a neat little technology and one that we're very, very proud of. This is the kind of stuff you can build if you learn algebra, if you learn geometry, if you learn engineering, if you learn physics, if you learn chemistry. I don't know if you have to know English for this. Yes, if you, definitely if you learn English. Yeah. Dr. Eileen, forgive, forgive. Okay, yes. Yes, you definitely need English, right? And actually, you, you need English to even be able to tell someone about it. You do. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an exciting thing. These are the kind of technologies that I've had the tremendous pleasure of inventing. Now this one, it's, I only invented this half. Dr. John invented this half. Is that how we did it? Or maybe yours was the front, I did the back. We did it together. We collaborated. You don't know what that means? What does it mean? I do you know, know what it means. Well, tell, tell me. Tell them what collaboration <laughs> is. That you work on it together. Yeah, that's when you Dr. John and I get together yeah. and, and we form a yeah. team and he figures it out and I take the credit. <laughs> that's what collaboration Your ideas is. and his ideas. No, <laughs> his ideas, my credit. That's not what collaborate means, by the way. Isn't it? No. <laughs> well, you what, have to tell your students. What does it mean? Tell them. <laughs> Do you know that we're trying to collaborate here? <laughs> You do it harmoniously. <laughs> what does harmonious mean? It comes out in pretty sounds. <laughs> you really don't want me teaching them that. <laughs> Did you know that when data goes over a wire, it travels at basically the speed of light? Do you see how fast light travels? How fast does it travel? Who knows? Thomas knows. Thomas, he's looking on his phone. <laughs> Light is fast. It really, really travels. In fact, light can go around the world 
seven times in a second. At least that's the number I have memorized. How fast is it, Thomas? 186,000 what per what? I have miles per hour. <laughs> All right, give me miles per hour. That'll do. Six hundred and seventy million miles per hour. That's even fast for a airplane, isn't it? That's really fast. At that incredible speed, in one nanosecond, one billionth of a second, which is the clock on this this device, light only goes that far. As fast as it is, it only goes that far because a billionth of a second is a really short amount of time. It's the amount of time that it's hard to even comprehend. And to be able to make stuff like this that's pushing the state of the art, I think is really neat. I'm grateful that I got to build the first commercial gigabit network. Mm -hmm. And nice it nice generated a lot of the money that we use to create a cells. Interesting. That invention is helping a lot of a lot of students it learn. Is. And this new one is a technology that is is it important to our data center? Every <laughs> single Acela student that watches a video that does a lesson is going right through this. Now we have a few of these. We have four different data centers, but it's interesting to run a cellus we only need one data center. So guess why we have four? What if something happened to that one data center? What if it broke and things do break? The students would be sad. The students, I hope they would all be sad. <laughs> yeah, they should be, right? They would be really sad if we lost all of their records, wouldn't they? All the work they'd done. But we have four data centers so that we always are able to serve our students. And I don't want to scare anybody, but there are some times when you're watching a lesson with your teacher and the lesson's going on, it's going on, and something goes wrong at our data center like we had uh, a few weeks back. We had this really nice builder guy out there with a trenching machine and he cut through the fibers. Cut them in half, and then the light went, and then we couldn't talk to the students anymore. And you were watching a video, and our system is all set up, so you got switched over to the next data center, and it didn't even interrupt your video. And we're so proud of that, aren't we, Thomas? <laughs> we have worked so hard to do that, and if that one gets interrupted, like power shuts down or shorts or something, then it goes over the third one, and then over the fourth one. If the fourth one goes down at the same time, you should take a little break. <laughs> okay? You kind of have to because we ran out of data centers. But we actually now have four data centers to make sure we never lose your data. And it takes a lot of servers because we have so many students. When uh, people started coming back to school this year with the, the fact that a lot of students are studying at home and and we had so many more schools that came on all of a sudden. Our poor little data center just couldn't keep up. We, how many new servers did we put in? 48 servers in one week, a couple weeks. I'm so grateful 
that we got those built. Thanks, Steve. Steve built them for us. And we built the concentrators and everything. But we still had a hard time keeping up. It came up so fast. Now we're kind of getting it back under control and we're catching up. We're building 150 new servers just to make sure we keep up with all of the work you're doing. It is so exciting to be able to think of an idea like this and then to draw a drawing and then to get to build it and then to get to figure out how to make it work and then to get to market it and then to come to Science Live and get mm -hmm. to talk about it. That's right. <laughs> Even though people will not hold the light. <laughs> Very <hold> long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope that you're getting my point, and that is the knowledge that you're gaining is going to empower you to do really, really great stuff. And, you know, this is as fast as networks will ever need to be. No one needs to make a faster <laughs> net. You're being sarcastic. What if we figure out a reason that we want more speed I later on? Will. Then you are going to have to figure out how to do it. And that's the wonderful thing about technology. The better we get, the better ideas we get, the make us need it better. Well, aren't you and talking about building a faster needed. one? Aren't I talking about building a faster mm -hmm. one? Yes, I'm talking to them right now. <laughs> Build a faster one. Yeah, We are building a faster one. And mm -hmm. it's exciting to think that science marches on. I just think what the Acellus army is going to do in the future. And it's going to depend on how diligent you are to learn this material. Knowledge empowers. It's worth all of the sweat and tears and effort you have to put into learning it. Is that right? That's can right. we collaborate on that yes, thought? Yes, Okay, thank you, everybody. See you next week. All right, well, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Have a great night.